Well, should I? Okay, good morning. I, good morning. I, I thought about not saying good morning because uh, when I when I said hello to you on the Skype chat and you said, and yes, back, uh, Skype provided me with a list of options, a list of things I could say. Uh, there were those of things I could click on and, and avoid having to type out. Um, one of them, I don't remember the other ones because they're gone now because I just woke up and my brain's not going to retain that kind of information. But one of them was, and why? <laughs> <laughs> I think maybe we could get Skype to do the first five to ten minutes of the podcast for us. And then once we're fully awake, we take over. Have you have you done the thing where you? Uh, I don't know if this applies to non Apple phones, but where you uh, just keep tapping on the middle word suggestion of your of your iMessage phone thing. Yeah, and, I mean, I don't have an iPhone, but yes, the um, suggested text uh, texting it's mm-hmm. entertaining. Actually, there's a different version of that which is. Also entertaining, I use Allo, which is a Google text app, basically. Um, and it tries to do a bunch of stuff. But one of the things is predictive answers. <clears throat> so it's like what you were saying with Skype. It tries to suggest maybe a response you might give, and you can hit it one time, and it sends the whole message. Mm-hmm. It actually tries to learn what you what kinds of things you would say normally if you let it which is entertaining but it also is just off the wall wants to give whatever answers it has so you can have a full conversation with google and itself by having two allo users just go at it with each other so me and my brother will take like 5 minute increments to just give Google answers to each other and it's just Google talking to itself and having a really good time. Oh well that's that's very sweet. That's the that's the less uh that's the more civil version of the uh have you have ever seen the app that like repeats what you say back to you but in a higher voice. Kind of like the the parrot from like a uh, cracker barrel. You, you ever? Yeah, you ever? yes. It's actually one of my historically favorite YouTube videos. Was seeing two of those devices try to talk to each other. Uh, yeah, that's a, that's an all timer for me. By the time they're both just going, it's just white, like white noise, <laughs> at, like a I, spectrum barely here, like barely audible by the human ear. <laughs> These things are just screaming at each other. I don't uh, know why, but that is a video that I lose it watching it's beautiful metaphor not every video yeah oh oh my goodness we're out of coffee oh i thought the same thing and last night before i went to bed my last act was to dig through an overly full refrigerator like a raccoon finding a full trash can and i saw a glimpse of a like a cold brew bottle at the very back and i just like tossed everything out in front of it i thought you were i I thought you didn't drink coffee i thought we had conversations about you not being a coffee person you're a liar 
Uh, no, I no. just don't listen very well. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that that's possible. I do drink coffee, not religiously. Mm. Uh, ever since I went on mid-shift for a while. Uh, it's a being necessity. Being 10 p.m. to 8 a.m. Mm. in my case. Um, I, I had to do something. And traditionally, I really didn't drink a lot of caffeine at all because I think it sort of gives me, it makes me nauseous easily and like, you know. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, Anyways. It's okay. You have a delicate constitution. So I, I do. Yeah. I'm sort of a bubble boy. <laughs> I, uh, I, I turned to the tea this morning, uh, in, mm. in sorrow. And I will explain why I am so particularly sad about this specific morning, not being, having coffee in a second, but the tea, I, we used to have a fair, well, we still have a fair amount of tea and I used to avail myself of the, the loose leaf tea that we had fairly often, but it's been a few, like, I don't know, two or three years. And I don't remember like the proportions I don't remember like the techniques. So all I ended up doing was finding something called Irish breakfast and scooping a bunch of it into this wire ball. And I'm looking at it now and I've drunk, <laughs> <laughs> I've drunk breakfast tea before. And normally breakfast tea is like, you know, it's sort of a gentle, <laughs> a semi-opaque brown. And what I have concocted here is... Um, indistinguishable from like strong coffee that has maybe been sitting on the burner at Waffle House for a while. And it tastes like, hold on, let me, uh, I thought you drank tea often. I drink, but I drink like, uh, the bed, bedtime, like packet tea where you just like, okay, you're yeah, like, Oh, yeah. I'm, you know, gentle, go to not like the full, yeah, not the um, pretentious Japanese tea. tea. Yeah. A ceremony style, right? We used to go. We used to when I was in uh, Chicago on work trips. Shannon would send me with a um, request to uh, Teegschwinder, which is this like uh, nice tea place that there's like one or two in the United States, and the rest are in Europe. One of them's here, and yeah, you, then you get a bunch of loose leaf tea, and you have the the the, uh, the little baskets or whatever. Um, any, in any case, I'm pretty sure I'm drinking like five cups of tea in one. Uh, it's very dark and opaque and it tastes, uh, intent. It tastes like, uh, like it's not a drink, I guess it tastes like, a. <laughs> it's some, medicine, man. You just yeah, drink it. It's some sort of you, substance. You're, you're going to function. I'm uh -huh. doing the same thing. I poured a lot of coffee and I just drank it all at once and <laughs> For the podcast, I will be super awesome, and then I will be mildly sick the rest of the day. So you're welcome. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, uh, I'm in. The, I, I would say that I'm in the middle of the whole thirty, but I think we we hit like uh, two weeks of the whole thirty and had some friends in town, and we're easing up a little bit. But uh, it made me very sensitive to caffeine in a way that I was not um, not pleased about. Wait, you can't be easing up. On Whole30. I mean, isn't the whole point that it's yes. whole for 30 days? Yes, it is. But I, I, I we, we, uh, we sort of, uh, we made it, I'll, I'll say we made it a solid 15 days. 
<laughs> and we'll probably I stick think with that's laudable. Yeah, I mean, we've done the whole the entire thing before. We we ended up with friends coming to town, and then we were like, we're not going to force our friends to eat like novelty diet, like plate of meat and vegetables and plants. And uh, so we, you know, we had some um, we had you, some drinks <laughs> with them, and then you one, try not to let them know, they, yeah. and they just start saying, "Hey, what's with you guys and dates? Like, there's dates in everything." Dates everywhere. Um, yeah, it's it, <laughs> we're, we're still gonna do the diet part of it um, with probably with, with for the for the most part. But I I think once you once you crack on the whole thirty, it's really difficult to go back and and commit to the rest of it because it's kind of a fundamentally arbitrary uh, diet to begin with. Um, mm-hmm. So in any case, uh, it uh, it it. Uh, it it reduced some like buffer, like some energy buffer I had in a lot of different areas, like uh, not having that like uh, I don't know a baseline of like a certain amount of just grains or carbs mm-hmm. or sugar. So you, my energy, I would get home from work and uh, you go from like oh I'm I'm feeling okay to oh I'm asleep. Whoops, <laughs> like. I seem to have I seem to have slept, and then on the other end, it's like if you have exactly one tablespoon too much coffee, you're like nauseated and weird for the rest of the day. Um, mm-hmm. I will. I'll put a pseudoscience warning tag in front of what I'm about to say. Um, but as let's just say this is anecdotal evidence from my own life, where I went on. It wasn't well. It was. It was probably close to whole thirty. It's more of a. Oh, you did the whole. Yeah, you did the like primal whatever. thing. Yeah, I did the primal thing um, to get back down. I actually was. I was as much as two fifteen at one point, and now I try to keep around one seventy. So there was a wow. there was a time, but anyway. Usually it's strict for about a month or two getting going, and then it's more like ease off and maintain. But when I went really strict from a high sugar carb diet or whatever, it was my impression of it was that my body had to just change its basic factories like you started to manufacture a different product Mm. um, and you had to rebuild. And so there was sort of this moment almost 30 days in or no, a week in and lasted a little while where it was like, I've heard it described as flu like where you feel okay. And then you feel like knocked out and you're like cold and (laughs) You you feel almost sick, and then after about a month or two, you feel totally normal and or hopefully better, and you're eating totally different food. So yeah. I'd like to believe that your body does like say, okay, this is what we're doing. Let me optimize for this. A three to seven month long flu doesn't seem like a super great advertisement for that specific diet plan i I said um i said several weeks oh okay (laughs) yeah i still feel flu like but i'm told it's working (laughs) 
parts of my body are rotting off, but <laughs> I feel like my factories have shifted. <laughs> the, They're like, your brain isn't working anymore. Yeah. What are you talking about? Factories. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I... I, I um, we weren't like that we weren't as far gone as the last time we did the whole 30 in terms of everything so that's the other reason it kind of is hard to maintain it like we mostly just need to stop uh availing ourselves of the wide variety of horrible food you can get delivered to your door in 20 minutes in chicago uh our baseline of like what we eat when we cook at home is pretty good but boy howdy let me tell you you can get some food delivered in this city, or not even delivered. Just go out. You can go out and get a a, a beef combo, which is a Italian beef sandwich with a Polish sausage on it. Um, no problemo. Yeah, it is. I, I'm actually gonna look at um uh, the menu of a of the pizza, the local pizza place that we order. I really wanted to show you uh, to talk about this on the podcast, so I might as well do it when I'm not prepared. You're just um, gonna look at it. I'm going. Yeah, I'm just gonna look at this menu. Just give me a few minutes. I'm gonna be quiet for a little while. Just, to, <laughs> you know, I might go. I, I will. You s- might hear a hmm <laughs> from me. Just work. It's okay. <laughs> I'm having a good time. This is. Uh, yeah. No. I. That's the problem. It feels awkward. Um. I. I. I will say that there seems to be two strategies when on these any diet really. The avoidance of exposure to things you would like, and then the sort of meditate on the things you would like approach, and then move on. Okay. So I actually found that the latter works for me, where you actually, if you feel like you really want something, you know, you've been off of it a while and you want pizza or whatever, or somebody eating pizza and you smell it, you actually. Don't avoid it. You look at it, you smell it, you think about eating it, and then you sort of intentionally move on. And there is some... Actually, I think I read an article about this, which makes me sound like my point's much more valid, I'm sure. That, yeah, there is some kind of um, thing where, where part of your brain, at least, is sort of satisfied Hmm. having explored that option you still you know crave it in in other ways but there is part of it that goes away after you think through a uh, think through a task i had i have not a, oh, like uh i had not a, attempted the uh imagination based diet system that's that's interesting <laughs> i would like to recommend it <laughs> i <laughs> excuse me yeah um i there wasn't a it's it's uh, I don't know I feel I feel like lame having like because like we hadn't actually formally talked about what whether we were going to go back on the whole thirty or what we were doing after our friends were in town and uh, like the, the we also would went through l- l- watching the uh, that hearing yesterday um, so by the time work ended Did you watch the whole thing I watched a uh, I watched. I turned it on toward the end of um, her testimony, and then I watched his entire thing. And um, by the end of that, we, I was like, you know what? It, it's going to be okay if we have a couple beers today. Uh, so we, we've kind of like, we've, we, I think we formally stepped back from the, uh, from the strictness of the whole 30. 
Um, so you but, weren't uh, sure if you were going to be continuing strictly or not until you got up at 2 a.m. to go to the bathroom and you found Shannon passed out with a bottle of wine next to her. <laughs> not quite, but uh, there was a there was a there was a uh, we just look, man. <laughs> there's been a lot going on. Um, speaking of 2 a.m., she had though, written. She had written Me Too on the wall with wine next to her. Hashtag with wine, which is really impressive. I didn't know you could write with wine. Uh, it's sort of a... No, we still don't know how she Sort did. of a writing with blood kind of situation. Uh, the uh, 2 a.m., mm. funny you should ask, that's about when I went to sleep last night. Um, I slept a very mm. small... Yeah, very irresponsible. What happened is, and I'm not proud, um, I... Uh, it was it was say eleven eleven thirty p.m. and typically right before bed I may turn on uh, Giant Bomb the um, video game website I'll go watch them play some game that came out or whatever it's a thing and uh, they decided to start playing through the Tony Hawk games and so oh my yeah so at about eleven o'clock I was like wonder if I can get wonder if I can get Tony Hawk on on my on my laptop and. Uh, well, let me tell you, getting Tony Hawk emulated on a on a Mac laptop, uh, it's actually easier to get. Uh, <laughs> I I looked into getting Tony Hawk's Mac port emulated on the laptop, but Tony Hawk's Mac port was actually built for PowerPC Macintoshes, which are an entirely different, basically an entirely different computer, top to bottom. Um, and so you would have to install a emulator with a copy of OS whatever 10 or what early OS 10 uh, and basically run a virtual machine of an old Macintosh inside your Macintosh. Um, or you can get the old windows version and run it through wine, which is like, you know, you, you know what wine is probably, but it's like a, a open source PC emulator that's been around for forever. Are you, are you following me anymore? <laughs> <laughs> oh no, I'm listening. I yeah. don't think I do know what wine is. Oh, maybe I, it's a, I mean I haven't had need well, okay, so emulating like an older PC, is that what it would be used yeah, for? Yeah, wine in my case. Wine is like uh it's it's not exclusively for Macs, but it's like a Linux based uh Windows uh emulator. Oh, okay. It doesn't run I've Windows, used, it runs Windows applications. So you I've don't need a copy DOS of Windows. Box to, I've used DOSBox to run older things right. as I've never not had a copy of Windows. So I got myself Wine, which is pretty easy to use if uh, if you're a little bit savvy. And then I was like, okay, time to find an old copy of Tony Hawk because I looked in my CD binder. I have old, I have Dark Forces 2 still. I have Dungeon Siege. I have all sorts of old game CDs. I mysteriously don't have my Tony Hawk CD. So I, you know, that's because you left it at your shrine. Series, yeah, series of uh, bad decisions continue, and it's probably midnight, and I'm on torrent sites <laughs> looking for oh a, man a, a, a uh, illicit looking for an illicit copy of Tony Hawk Pro Skater Two uh, for the PC, and uh, so the version I ended up finding is a modded version. Uh, by someone who who added in uh, the members of and hits by a Korean pop group um, whose name I don't remember. 
So fast forward uh. 30 minutes to, I don't know, 12.45, and m- semi-miraculously, the game is boots up first time. There's weird, like, uh, artifacting across the middle of the screen, like just like almost like 80s digital noise style, like like inexplicable garbage on the screen. And but it works and I'm in my living room playing Tony Hawk 2 for the first time since I don't know early 2000s and and the music instead of the classic Tony Hawk like skater punk music is like some J-pop. It's like a weird night. <laughs> and at that point after your beer that your body wasn't used to right and your quest and the K-pop started up did you start to question your reality? I, I n- no. <laughs> I just, I, I mean, I think if I had questioned my reality at any time, I probably would have gone to bed earlier. Um, uh, yeah. I, 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 I uh, then I spent, I don't know, an hour uh, for the for the listeners. I once was very good at Tony Hawk too. And uh, I once, I think I still hold like some random high score with the high score people. And uh, I, I won $450 sending in VHS tapes of myself playing Tony Hawk 2 to Twin Galaxies in, when I was in high school. That's and, uh, real. The Noramek was a force. He had oh, yeah. his own mod. The Normac right. being your username, I, I, I think. Yeah, no, either my trick mod site, I think, went down when Angel Fire or whatever went down a few years ago, but I, the mod is still out there. Um, yeah, I was very into that game, and I just had, I've never, I think I tried to run it a few years ago, and it just like gave up almost immediately. So it was very strange to play this game and, and not it, have my... Didn't you uh, feel... Huh? Didn't you feel bothered by the music change? Because for me, music especially, I I played Tony Hawk one more, um, I think. But like to me, the music and it are inseparable. I don't know what it would it would feel alien if there were any different music. Oh yeah, I mean there were a lot of things that contributed to this feeling like a bad acid trip of a of a series of decisions because I'm like playing it on I my fingers are used to like the whole the whole pleasing thing about Tony Hawk was that you could play it on the keyboard instead of a controller. So if you wanted to go downright grab to do a special trick of a indie McTwist or whatever <laughs> Excuse me. Um, you you knew that you could hit it if your fingers were fast enough. It wasn't like using a PlayStation controller where you, you the controller might have not registered down properly. Or, you know, it, it's it, that was always a, to, really frustrating to me because it was imprecise. But Tony Hawk on the computer was almost like a typing uh, challenge because it was just you could go as fast as your fingers could go on the keyboard. But I have. Man, I don't really have. Making me want to play. Yeah, and I don't have a, a Windows challenge. <laughs> Shut up! I don't have a Windows keyboard with the big <laughs> clacky keys. I have a a Mac keyboard with obnoxiously tiny keys, and I'm sitting on like the my living room floor and on this <clears> tiny screen with a like an external keyboard hooked up to my laptop because you play it with the number pad, which is there's no number pad on a laptop or my laptop anyway. And 
and the screen is like I said, there's there's like digital artifacting, like random pixels are wrong, and like the music is wrong. So yeah, the whole thing was was like a bad dream. Uh, it was not. It it was cool, but also like a, it was all twisted and weird. It wasn't right. <laughs> All right, we're going to need to get you some more sleep. Uh, yeah, I tell you what, um, I, I also like, you know, spent about an hour out playing it and uh, I got pretty far, but I also learned that 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 uh, muscle memory is not under my fingers the way it once was. And that was kind of a bummer. <laughs> well, did Felix sleep at least? Felix did, uh, Felix did sleep it's, for once. Uh so uh, over here on the Sarpino's menu that I have pulled up, I just want to, well, this is a local pizza chain, uh, and we typically order like a, a pepperoni or a mushroom, you know, or it's a, our children don't really go for novelty pizza, and neither do we, but I want to I give you this one. This is called the house special. Um, there's a real, there's a buried lead in here, <laughs> and I think you would enjoy it. Sarpino's traditional pan pizza baked to perfection and topped with lean Canadian bacon, freshly sliced pepperoni and mushrooms, sautéed onions and green peppers, black olives, juicy baby shrimp, and our signature gourmet cheese blend. That was all one pizza? (laughs) How about that baby shrimp? Were you expecting those baby shrimp? Well, I I didn't, I think the word juicy Uh really threw me off. Juicy baby um, shrimp. To hear baby and then shrimp. Those are, that's like a full combination of three words that are unique to me in the English language thus far. So I'm glad that I heard them in reference to the last of 10 toppings on a pizza somewhere. You're welcome. (laughs) Do not send me a picture of someone eating that or cutting the pizza at wrong angles or covering themselves with an unending string of melted cheese. You keep sending me these awful videos on Instagram and it's upsetting me. <laughs> oh my gosh. You have to share in my suffering of the, the strange, <laughs> creepy Instagram culture. Why don't you explain so no one's lost? Ugh. Look, I mean, if you've been on Instagram, you probably experienced this. It's just that for some reason, I know why. It's because I keep sharing the posts. So Instagram's like, look at all the engagement <laughs> we're getting on these gross food posts. We'll keep sending them to Karen. He must love these posts of someone. The point is that they exist independent of your feigned interest. Like, this is a thing. Uh, yes, because um, for some reason, for some baffling reason, I feel like no one eats food and these Instagram like foodie accounts will just be, uh, it'll be a burger with seven patties and the, the camera will just hover on the burger. Maybe there's music. Sometimes there's like a soundtrack. Sometimes there's no sound other than like someone going, "Uh, uh," and then there's like a, um, the sound of a, the knife will cut a lot of the time. There's a lot of themes in these videos. I've thought way too much about this. There's uh, the you typically a steak video. They're gonna take the steak, and no, it's not like oh we put a you know a, a, a man gets served a big steak and he says wow what a yummy steak this looks really good it's a it's a porterhouse 
you know, and he takes a, he slices it and takes a bite and he chews and he says, awesome. And he turns to the camera and gives him a thumbs up. That video doesn't exist on Instagram. What happens instead is a camera at roughly eye level gazing at a porterhouse in silence. And then a knife comes in from the side and cuts the porterhouse straight in half. And then <laughs> a big fork picks up half a porterhouse and holds it ever closer to the camera showing you the inside and then the video just ends it's yes that's a good example they're they're weird clinical food dissection videos that don't involve human enjoyment or uh proper treatment of the food or oftentimes involve a food item that would be uh a little much for even like a guy fieri type show like there, it's just I don't understand. I guess those videos perform right, it's, better. It's not. I don't know. I think. Well, there's lots of things that I think are ridiculous, and I don't understand why people watch them. <laughs> Disclaimer: I it's opinion based. There's no right or wrong. I just don't understand it. But you don't need to disclaimer that <clears throat> it's not science. It's. <laughs> um, it's not. It, it, I think it helps if I just upfront realize it's not about the food necessarily at that point. It's its own thing. It's its own genre genre of some other type of entertainment. It's about creating something more and more intense, like burger intensifies a, sens- a sensory experience you think well yes i would say it's it's something yeah it, it's just upping the level of intensity on something that people already like everybody likes food everybody likes something that's good and unique and, and sort of decadent as far as food goes. Decadence We've always is liked that. Certainly, a, there's a, l- a running theme in those is the decadent, decadence of the food. Certainly, item. I, I think that's where it started. So every, I mean, I even will admit to seeing you know particularly good burger, and if there's a little bit of juice coming out of it, provided it's not from a baby shrimp, I'll see. <laughs> oh, that. You know, I, I I recognize that. That looks like it's rich in something I want. Well, just escalate that to the point where it's just trying to isolate that feeling of decadence and never seen this before and intensity. And it's its own thing. And it becomes divorced from the idea of eating food. And it's just its own existence of entertainment and then someone like me who is into more of an eating type food person like i'm into (laughs) eating right i would eat something blindfolded if it came to it oh um all that that would be awkward but (laughs) no one's asked for anyway it's its own form of entertainment (laughs) and i'll i try to remind myself of that and it still bothers me I, all right. I, I just, stop sending these to me. <laughs> I just send you one. I want. I want to hear your. Uh, your what? Describe what what you're experiencing right now. 
Okay, hold on. It was literally <laughs> the first thing on my like... food tab on Instagram. Okay, if it were on a show, I I think I'd be. Um, this is a particularly good dip, one. I dip think. Dip the cooked uh, stew meat into the uncooked corn casserole. <laughs> Uh, make sure to have enough cheese that you can't get it to your mouth before the cheese is still stringing all the way down to the plate. I didn't notice that there was what? cheese. No, this is a, from what I can tell, I didn't notice that it was carrying a piece of steak, but there's like two metal chopsticks sort of like pressing a piece of meat into a a trench. Would you say, would you call it like uh, a, a little a bit of a, a moat? It's surrounding a cook plate. <laughs> Yeah. Full of what appears to be a unmodified can of creamed corn. <laughs> no, they put cheese in it. Yeah, there's. I mean, that if creamed corn behaved this like one, that, you'd probably need to throw uh, it out. This one's even worse. That one wasn't even appetizing. No, and it's, it seems to be lit from like a spotlight right behind the camera, so it has <laughs> a really good sort of cold... Yeah. Uh, kind of cl- like interrogation room lighting on this like cheese blob being pulled up by chopsticks. It's it's now this let's is a, a let's very get out ahead one. of this. We're not talking about good pictures of food. I, no, I know that I appreciate can, a good picture. You can get of out of hand taking pictures of your food, but I don't mind that. You know, I I like to see a well taken picture of a good meal. This is certainly. Well, this, this is, is not that. This is the first person food examination genre uh of Instagram video that is has really gotten to me lately. Um uh, So if you want to if you want to um, Anyway, I don't if, imagine if, you'll stop, but If you no, I'm going to you have to share in my suffering. Um you're part of it now. Uh, the, uh, okay. if you want some, uh, toppings from Sarpinos, I'm not sure where they source their ingredients. It looks to me like they might just like, uh, get all the leftovers from a sandwich place and then just throw it in there. You get some shrimp, like we discussed. Oh, you get some turkey, um, other options on their topping, uh, menu, uh, Euro meat, uh, which is actually good. We've had that before. Um, uh, pickles, um, Zucchini. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you need some uh, some base sauce options other than pizza sauce, because you've moved on, um, one one of the options is vegetarian. I don't know what that means. That's all it says. That's, is it, it says vegetarian. That? No. Okay. <laughs> it does not. Um, <laughs> you know, you get a garlic butter I, base. A lot of sauces I assume to be vegetarian. You could get tzatziki sauce if, in case you want to just have. What uh, basically would end up being a giant unfolded gyro, tzatziki sauce, gyro <laughs> meat, and bread. Yep, you could get a basically. So uh, Sarpino's is down for any sort of sauce they have around. They would be happy to make that the base of your pizza. So there's blue cheese. Um, there's Caesar dressing is an option. It's even, they don't even call it like Caesar based sauce. They're just like, look, we have some Caesar dressing. If you want that at the bottom of your pizza crust, that's cool. Uh, Sarpino's is up for it. I'm going to go to the, I'm going to go there and just say, Hey guys, I have an Instagram channel. I need you to do something for me. <laughs> yeah, I have you an make Instagram me a channel. giant ass pizza. <laughs> open up a can of cream. <laughs> 
creamed corn and just pour it over me, please. <laughs> just dump me, dump me in creamed corn. Uh, uh, you could salsa could be your base sauce at Sarpino's Pizza in Chicago. Um, uh, it, what uh, my favorite here is uh, mayonnaise. You can you can you can base no. sauce your pizza in mayonnaise if you want to die. <laughs> Why don't they just say? Tell us what you would like us to put under the top. <laughs> Just name I mean, a thing. We'll anything get it could out. be a sauce, I guess. That's fine. Sure. Um, and, make me read your weird sauce choices. <laughs> uh, and we, uh, they, they removed it from the menu in their fancy new website. Um, but their dipping sauces, uh, at one point, they literally, I think, just listed every sauce. And now it's a, a relatively... Uh, it's a relatively straightforward list, except for the addition of cheese sauce, which I believe is actually nacho cheese. Um, we I have not tested that out. But at one point, there was a strawberry. It's similar, if not. There was a strawberry sauce. And we, uh, we, we order Sarpinos for our, for our D&D sessions. Uh, that's sort of our tradition. And we did get strawberry sauce one time, and it was a, like, strawberry sauce. And I'm not sure what it was on the menu for. Uh, but uh, so it's an adventure. Well, there you go. Oh, dill. You can get dill as a topping. Or just so, dill? Like fresh says, dill? It says dill. <laughs> you can get us. Uh, or so, do they just, they take the same, they take the pickle jar they get the pickles from, and then they just strain the, the juice on there. Sun-dried pickle juice. Dill. Yep, there's, there's uh, I'm going to close this now, but there's also uh, cilantro. I, um, uh, well, okay. I mean, I never thought of it on a pizza, but I'm always open to cilantro. That's sort of my take on almost everything on the Sarpino's ordering page, other, other than the mayonnaise. It's like, well, I I mean, I guess, like, you guys don't seem to be trying to hurt me. Um, it right. just seems, uh, it seems like they just have a lot of things around. Now, right. <laughs> and I'm, I appreciate they're trying to use all those things. Um, seems resourceful. Yeah, maybe they're uh, getting these secondhand, and they're trying to reduce food waste in the city. I'm just going to go with that. We Certainly got all these strawberries, like but we're a pizza place. What do we do? <laughs> I will vouch for feta cheese gyro meat pizza, which I've only ever had at a place Ooh. in town called Fineris Brothers. I oh, yeah, I remember Fineris Brothers. You guys were big Fineris Brothers people when we were growing up, and I, I think I only ate there with your family. It's a Greek, Greek place, right? probable. Yeah, it's a Greek food place, and it's local, and it's very good. Um, I mean, it's good. I'll put it that way. But they make pizza, which sounds odd for a Greek place, but it's absolutely massive. One to two pieces is probably what you're going to get down and it's not thin, but it's not quite a deep, like, it's not like Chicago deep dish. So like a pan, either. maybe it's a just, pan style? It's just big all around, like a normal size pizza, and then scale, uh, like half, scale it halfway up from a normal pizza. Don't mind if I do. And, um, yeah. And then feta, gyro meat, and then their, like, white sauce they have on the table. And oh, it's, yeah. It's probably it's a tzatziki. Uh, variant That's it's like a well imagine take tzatziki and put more vinegar in it it's sort of a thinner sauce it's like Ooh. i don't know it's you'd use it on a salad maybe 
I'm surprised there isn't uh, more crossover in Chicago, given that uh, at this point, I would say my opinion of a um, the sort of a definitive Chicago food place is one of our zillion uh, uh, hamburger, hot dog, or gyro, or a bunch of other things, places, where you just go in and they're like, look, we got a dog, we got a double dog, we got a beef, we got a beef combo, which is a beef with a dog, we got a hot dog, I mean a hamburger, we got a double hamburger, then we have a bunch of Greek like uh, a bunch of uh, Euro stuff also. And then you keep going down the menu and they've got like, I don't know, spaghetti and like steak and eggs and stuff like the, the amount of places that just like are what I would otherwise expect to be three separate restaurants. I would say it's the Chicago equivalent of the um, KFC Taco Bell pizza hut experience (laughs) where they're just mashing this stuff all together, except it's not quite as, uh, you know, it's it's the same it's it's the same je ne sais quoi to me of uh of uh m- mashing together trash food in a way that's really enjoyable that always well as with many things i used to if not be drawn to those situations just be like oh how convenient and now i very suspicious of them <laughs> i i i think uh, i I like shocking uh, folks, innocent people who didn't know that there was such a thing as a Kentaco hut. Um, I've pulled up a photo of a sign of a Kentaco hut before to prove to someone that it was a product. There was a a place that truly existed on this, on this planet. Um, Did you see the, huh? Oh, go ahead. No, you go. Did you see the uh, John Mulaney SNL uh, episode? I did not. Well, I'd recommend it, but one of the better skits from all of last season was they go to a diner and he orders lobster off the menu. (laughs) And they're like, wait, you really are? Like, I thought it was on there as a joke. You know, nobody orders lobster at the diner. Um. And then it goes from there, but I'd recommend it. Oh, okay, yeah, I I, I worry about at big big uh, big menu places. I think about that, um, like you know, you read an Anthony Bourdain book or whatever, and hear a little bit about like, oh, don't order seafood on a Tuesday because that's when they're like trying to use up the seafood before they get their next shipment in or whatever. And uh, mm-hmm. and I I look if you look at a menu and there's something that you're just like. Why is this here? And when was the last time someone ordered this product? Like, how old is this? Uh, is this specific thing going to be when they hand it to me? Um, <laughs> yeah, they're not. Bu- they're not just buying something no one buys, tossing it out every week, and buying a new one. Yeah, and like the uh, like, where is this product going to come from? The the uh, it's a tricky balance because I also, my instinct in, uh, in a big menu place is to try to find some off the wall thing to order, but you have to find an off the wall thing that also plausibly has a following, not the off the wall thing that they have like a frozen one in the back somewhere. Right. Like, oh no. Well, at, what point, at what point did, do you think it switched in, um, modern history where, Things became easy to ship even around the world, 
or let's just say across the country and restaurants were able to offer things that you may have never seen or heard of at all or wouldn't be common. Was it surprising at first? And how did that transition to us being like, uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah, okay, Mongolian chicken leg and right. just sort of like whatever's there, yeah, okay, I guess that's what they serve. Uh. I my my um, I imagine so like one of my uh, favorite chefs is a dude named Edward Lee, and I went to his book signing when he was in town, which was kind of cool. It was there were maybe ten people there at a like a local. We have a Chicago has uh is 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 has apparently has enough uh economy and culture to support a bookstore in Lincoln Park that is exclusively cookbooks. And uh, wow. like cooking lessons and stuff. Yeah, it's, I forget the name of it, but so he came there. Um, it was really cool, little bookstore. Uh, and he, he was touring his new book, which is called Buttermilk Graffiti, which is on my nightstand. And I have not read, but I have cooked. A, it's it's like a nonfiction travel through different towns, and there are recipes scattered throughout. I've cooked some of the recipes, which has eased my guilt about how I haven't actually read the book yet. Um, but it is about uh, little cultures, like little microcultures popping up. And his whole premise um, is that 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 is where new food comes from, and that's where new food ideas come from. They they kind of radiate outward from small cultures of Im- immigrants and and uh, and people in new areas in general. Um, and so, like, you know, I don't think like. You know, O'Charlie's doesn't introduce the world to like avocado or something, right? Like it, it comes from some community, some like local community of people who have relocated from some other place and they bring with them some food idea. And eventually that food idea makes its, its way up to like, quote unquote, uh, the American food experience, uh, you know, and then you, then you get your, uh, your, 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 I mean, you see what I'm saying? It's like... Yeah, no, I definitely see. And I I like your example of, like, just simply the avocado because I think the a good example of the way it happens is that there are things that you use as a basic ingredient across a lot of dishes depending on where you grew up. And if you went to a new place, you might not have everything or... Trans, it might not even be easy or practical to do a full transplant of what you used to do, but you're going to have a couple basic things that you just find either so attractive or so natural to you to use um, that you're going to pull those into your cuisine. Um, like, I think every dish my mom ever made started with olive oil and garlic in a pan. Now that's not unique, but just to me, I, that would be just what I was going to put in everything if I was somewhere else. Yeah. And then though, I, I explain that to my kids, like the idea that like an avocado, for example, uh, is only in Chicago because in the, you know, not because the culture started necessarily accepting, I mean, I don't know how avocado originally got here. I bet there's like an avocado bureau or something. Uh, there are those commercials that advertise for specifically avocados that feel suspiciously mm-hmm. bureau-y. 
Um, but uh, it's logistically, those weren't weren't going to make it all the way up here. Uh, you know, supply chain wise in the early 20th century or whatever, regardless of whether people were going to eat them, they just weren't here. And uh, I try to explain that to my kids, the idea of like seasonal eating and like how the fact that you can kind of get anything at any time uh, is a product of modern society and is really weird. And yeah, that didn't, that didn't occur to me until I was a little older because you just, take for granted that everything is available all the time, which when you think about it holistically is pretty amazing um, and not inherently a bad thing. But if you don't know that that's not how things normally are and that it takes a level of civilizational effort to make that a reality, you might not have, you might not appreciate that at all. Yeah, it's it's a little bit easier to explain here. I feel like the uh, Midwest has stronger cultural, like in general, as the seasons go by, the Midwest shifts culturally and um, not just with food, but kind of with everything in a way that Florida totally doesn't. Um, so it's, you know, when it becomes fall, there are certain things everybody does. And like there, there's festivals in the summer and there's um, there, winter. Like there's just. Uh, yeah, the fair up north, the fairs up north have, has seemed to be a much bigger deal than they ever were down here. And they revolve around what food is, um, you know, highly available at that time of year, et cetera. Right. Yeah. There's a lot of discrete. Uh, like events and just changes like, uh, you know, in the summer, everybody eats outside, which reminded me a lot of going to Germany and stuff where like Mm -hmm. in the summer and when Shannon and I were in Munich, like you would wait for a table outside or you could sit inside with literally no one, uh, because they just like basically didn't even bother serving people inside if the weather was beautiful. (laughs) Um, um, I'd prefer if you dropped casually that you and Shannon were in Germany that you use a fancier word like München. Oh yeah, when you talk about it. M- München, uh, d- boy. I when in Germany, I discovered that you can't just like uh, infer German. You can't like deduce what a ger- what a sign says in German like you can in with Spanish a little bit. <laughs> it's a boy. That was rough. Um, but like, yeah. The uh, what was I going back to the the. Uh, Preponderance of like uh, seasonal food. Oh, just like I went to the store the other day to get um because Shannon said pork shoulder was a dollar fifty a pound, and I was just kind of blown away by all the prices because I guess it's harvest season, and so everything is super cheap at the grocery store in a way that feels really cra- felt like really crazy to me. Um, but again, it's it's just like this area, you know, the Midwest in general, I guess. Just they, I think they feel the ebb and flow of like the seasons and the uh, food availability and stuff a lot more than Florida. Where, if we're honest, like what it, what kind of crop is local to Florida at all? <laughs> well, there's a yeah, there's a couple things going on there, which is that there's not a real seasonal change like in the North or the Midwest. Um, so th- there's not that natural divider to sort of celebrate even outside of what kind of food you grow Two, you can grow a little bit of everything down here. It, it, certain things don't thrive as much 
uh, here as they might otherwise, but you can grow any variety of thing here. And okay. um, maybe I'm a little bit so, hard on on Florida. Well, <laughs> they're not known for growing uh, certain things that aren't ideal here. But for instance, I'll give you two examples. There are corn festivals, sweet corn festivals down here I didn't know during that. Uh, sweet corn harvest because there's a certain times there's certain times of year where sweet corn gets harvested uh, and there's a lot of it and it's fresh and you can just drown yourself in sweet corn which is good and then you might be familiar with this is crawfish season yeah yeah of course when crawfish season starts um or sometimes before it ends um it's just you might run into some uh, advertised gatherings that are celebrating such a thing man yeah we 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 order crawfish uh on the reg from uh, not i actually have whole crawfish in my freezer uh, that we bought last time we were in Tennessee. I need to actually eat those, but we ordered the crawfish tails. I, I joke that we probably are the top crawfish, uh, like consumer in uh, probably a two mile radius around here. Wait a, I don't know. Wait a second. Does your pizza place offer crawfish? Oh, believe me, I would have told you if it did. Um, I also closed that uh, tab. Um, okay. I have. I wait. Okay, hold on. Let me look at the thing. So, do you need me to send you dry ice packed crawfish during crawfish season? Oh man. We, well, we have a like a. I mean, depends on what it, it runs me. I guess. Um, we we have a place. Um, that I've I want to order from sometime. The the other problem is when I'm thinking crawfish. Uh, every year when I'm thinking crawfish. Uh, like a feast. It's my birthday. My birthday's in August, which is out out of season, and I never think about it during the season. Um, checking their list here, it looks like uh, Juicy Baby Shrimp is your only like seafood-based pizza mm. topping option. I'm sorry. Maybe Chicagoans don't know what a crawfish is, and de-shelled, it looks similar to a shrimp, so they just, <laughs> they're like, you know. These are like baby shrimp, but they're redder and juicier. Uh, it's, yes. There's actually, a we have one of those like uh, Asian Cajun crawfish places. I just haven't been to it yet. I, I need to need to scope that at some point. All right. I actually had one of my like, which I one of my uh, items on my neglected and also not present at this desk list of things to talk about in the podcast um, is the uh, the um, I believe I don't remember my term at the time, but like. Uh, living in Chicago completely changes your approach to the hot dog as a food item. And uh, I was going to reflect on that. It completely changes? Yeah. Or do you become elitist about it? I know. I don't, I don't think, I, I don't think any Chicago food really lends itself to elitism. Um, are you about to say you haven't had a Chicago dog unless you've had a Chicago dog in Chicago. No, actually, what's funny uh, is that it, it is oh, so there there is the Chicago dog which is, you know, fine. You get it all the way. It usually it's usually just like on the menu as a uh, you know, hot dog all the way or something. But aside from the Chicago dog, just hot dog as a product. I was trying to think about like when I was a kid, I never bought a hot dog. I, like a hot dog was not a commercially available item that you think about unless you are 
like buying something at like a school base uh, basketball game or you know you know you know what i mean like it, it was kind of like an, an a thing it was an uh, yeah it wasn't offered outside of concession stands and a house grill out as a side option right like my uh, my friend john michael who lived next door uh i remember going to his house and his mom uh, we served hot dogs, and she asked each of us if we wanted mayonnaise. Or, uh, mu- did I tell this story before? Mustard or ketchup? It. And I said mustard and ketchup, and blew all their minds. Um, oh, maybe we did because yeah. I had a guy chide me for putting ketchup. Oh on yeah, hot dogs. yeah, we're man. Okay, well, we've been doing this podcast long enough to lap ourselves. Um, yeah, or like you know, when we cook hot dogs at my house growing up, it was. Uh, you know, it was sort of a last-minute dinner option sort of thing, and and they were just a pot of boiled hot dogs. Um, and I would I would fix them like I did um, hamburgers. I would put mayonnaise and mustard and ketchup on my hot dog. Growing up, um, but then you move here, and hot dogs are um, everywhere and available in variety. I mean, you've got your like I said, the the t- uh, Polish sausage is really common with the grilled onions on it and stuff like that. Or, you know, you get a regular Chicago dog or you, you just get a hot dog or like a double dog, which I mentioned earlier and uh, you didn't say anything, but that is indeed two hot dogs in one bun. And that's also very common. Um, I, I, I don't know. I've been thinking about the, the, uh, the shift of moving here and, and hot dogs just kind of becoming part of life in a way that um, I think is a subtly unique feature of chicago i like that and especially if they're we're talking all beef hot dogs yeah or? okay no, yeah, yeah sure probably i mean <laughs> most of these places are the now he's the elitist i'm like are we talking all beef nitrate free hot dogs no the the, the vienna <laughs> beef hot dog uh like place the the vienna beef i don't know i want i think it's probably the factory it's a pretty big building um mm-hmm. that's like Oh, bye, baby. Have fun. Um, it's uh, it, that is that is a twenty-minute mm, walk from my house. Like it's right down the road. So the end, like, yeah, it's gonna it take pride in the the meat content That's of the cool. hot dog. Yeah, yeah. I love the fact that um, there are places that can have overly specific things that flourish just because of the density of humanity around them. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, That's, uh, I you mean, get, that's you get a Chicago, lot of that here. Right? Yeah. Well, I'm sure. <laughs> It's pretty much every very large city, but probably more so the more concentrated it is. Yeah, well, the hot dog is a food product, I feel like, pops up with uh, weird quirks only in big cities, right? You got your New York-style hot dog, cart hot dog, and then, like, uh, I think L.A. has their own weird hot dog thing. Um, But, like, if in a random pick an American city out of a hat, you're probably going to have a hard time finding a hot dog, you know, or you're not going to default to a hot dog. I mean, you've got business opportunity here. You're living in Chicago. You could come up with any kind of really niche idea. Oh, aside, do you say niche or niche? I think niche. I haven't thought about it before. Either way, um, you could come up with any kind of bizarrely specific idea and make it work. Do you have like a idea that you've just been sitting on that I would reveal on this podcast? (laughs) 
I mean, I've confirmed that we have at least one regular listener. Okay, well, I'm a, I'm a, a I'm just going to refresh the uh, Instagram tab, uh, the Discover tab for food, and we're just going to see what. I'm going to shut my phone off real quick. Um, <laughs> yeah, before I. Okay, it's not loading. I'm going to go to the Instagram tab for food. I'm going to turn off my Wi-Fi and load the Instagram tab for food. Have we mm. checked our call line and or email? Oh, yeah. This is Cameron and Brock or Two People, the podcast in which Cameron and Brock are Two People. Please email us at CameronandBrock at gmail.com or call us at 2525-HEY-CAM and leave us a voicemail with a question or comment. <laughs> That'll did, work. I did it. Um, all right. I'm looking at some sort of a boiling pot of something. There's a um, here's a sandwich that has already been cut in half, and in the video of this sandwich, uh, two hands reach in from sort of the sandwich is diagonal on the screen so that they can fit the whole sandwich in the square. It's it appears to be some sort oh of a, a a Philly cheesesteak. It's already cut in half. Sa- hands come in from the upper left and lower right of the screen. Um, sort of like, again, this is, you know, first person sort of, if you were, your head was at a 45 degree angle for some reason, the hands grasp the middle of each half of this, um, this Philly cheesesteak at once and lift it. They rotate inward so that both inner cut halves of the Philly cheesesteak are facing upward. Pieces of meat slowly fall out the sides as this person holds and positions a sandwich like no human being would ever <laughs> ever take a, okay, a freshly I cut think, sandwich and do. I think it is clear that we are going to start a Chicago restaurant, restaurant name only, because you will not be eating the food that we serve there. You sit down in, at a table, we bring out something covered in cheese or chocolate or something, uh, maybe uncooked corn casserole, and we're going to pull it apart in front of you, and then you're going to pay us money. Yeah, it's a, we'll, you, we'll share it right to Instagram for you. Um, you don't and think, like the, think of the calorie savings on your part. Uh, we could probably, I mean, this starts to get into like, you know how they spray uh, water on, on the food when they're photographing it or like coated in lacquer or mm-hmm. whatever to make it shiny. Yeah, yeah. People aren't eating. I'm going to put glue in the cheese just to make it stretchy. We will have the stretchiest cheese in the country. It will be, oh, it will people blow are people's be minds. So jealous of your Instagram and you're going to be whole 30 compliant the whole time. 